let's have, let's invite Joel back up and speak. We've just, Joel, I want to thank you again so, so much for, I don't need to, oh, there we go. I was going to say, I don't need to say it, but thank you for speaking and sharing what God's put on your heart. Thank you. Yes, my pleasure. All right. How are we doing? That was good. That was, man. The worship uh, here, um, better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere, right? Is that how it goes? Uh, I just want to move into the chapel at Summit. It's so good. Yeah, and honestly, I just, I just, I can barely even open my mouth because I'm just bathing in it, right? You are ministering to me. Can I just say that? Um, as I travel in different churches and around, it, it can get uh, tiresome. But I, being here is just, I'm just getting rejuvenated um, and refreshed. So can I just say thank you to you for blessing me uh, and creating this beautiful environment to just bathe in the love of God. And thanks for that word, Katie. Right, Katie? Katie. Katie. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, yeah, that's why. Because she's from Milton, she's anointed. <laughs> I am from Milton, remember? She's actually my neighbor, and I just met her here. So that's pretty cool. Um, so tonight, um, a word for tonight, if there was one word, uh, it would be resurgence. It's a word that I feel the Lord dropped in my heart, and I just want to share this message with you. Um, Resurgence, uh, what does that mean? By definition, it means after low activity, things are brought back into full activity. Uh, The last couple years have been kind of hard, right? Um, And different. And uh, it's almost like, it was almost like, it's almost been like a reboot in many ways, for our churches and our leaders and our lives. And uh, we don't want to reboot to go back to where we were. We want to reboot with something different, something that is of the Spirit. Now, I understand that in a uh, school like this, there is people from all kinds of backgrounds and churches and denominations and all that kind of thing. And I just think it's beautiful when we can gather together, even though we've had some differing of theology or doctrine over the years, depending on our our context that we were raised. Um, But I believe that the Holy Spirit is so much bigger than all of those differences. Do you agree? And uh, so when we sing songs like, do whatever you want to, uh, what are we saying? We're saying, Holy Spirit, come and do... uh, Something in me that is, is um, like a renovation of the heart. Change me from the inside out. And so um, revive us again. Um, awaken us to the work of the Spirit. Uh, re- bring a resurgence in my life. A resurgence, a freshness. Um, I spoke in one of the pastoral classes, uh, church planning and revitalization yesterday, and um, one of the greatest things you can bring to your youth groups, to your children's ministry, to your family, to your friend group, to your, 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 your pastorate one day, or to that nation that God's calling you to, wherever he's calling you to, is the, the greatest gift you can bring is a fresh vibrant relationship with Jesus. Where you love Jesus. So one of my mentors, my dad, who I'm hanging out with these days because he lives here in the West Coast, so it's been also refreshing to reconnect with my parents. Um, till this day, we, we, he'll phone me in Toronto and we'll talk about life, we'll talk about ministry and how are the churches there in the Western Ontario District and so on and talk a lot of things. And at some point in the conversation, he'll ask me a very important question. And he'll ask me this. 
Joel, do you love Jesus? I don't do woo! But what I do do is, what do I do do? Uh, is, Dad, come on. You know, I've been in ministry now for whatever amount of years. I'm a regional director. Of course I love Jesus. Now, why is he asking me that question? Because you can do the work of God and lose your passion for Jesus. <laughs> you can, you know, you, you can do stuff for God, and it's good, but where is your love for Jesus? Man, our students, our kids, our families, our communities need people who love Jesus. Oh, that times like this never go boring. We need a resurgence of the work of the Spirit that's deep within us. And so I was thinking about this word, and then I thought of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 3 to 5. Okay, this is, this is, this is Paul. The greatest missionary ever wrote most of the New Testament. He says this, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but rather with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Well, that's loaded, isn't it? Paul, he comes to the church of Corinth with great fear and trembling. Doesn't sound like a you know, real strong man of God here. Kind of seems a little weak. In fact, there it is, weakness, with great fear and trembling. Now, I can relate to Paul, and, and I've kind of, my story kind of is obviously not like Paul's, but has some, some connecting points for me. I grew up, and I was a really shy kid. In fact, when I felt God calling me to ministry, I ran from God's calling primarily because I was petrified of public speaking. I said, God, if there's one, I'll do anything for you, but don't make me stand in front of people to speak. Isn't this good? And uh, so when it was time to make a decision for my life or what I was going to do, I was graduating high school, I, I, I was like, no, I'm not going to go to Bible college. Nope. But I felt convicted. I couldn't go to a secular college or something. So I went to Trinity Western University. Somewhere in the middle, you know? Liberal arts, Christian university, that's, that's good, that's good. So I went there, drove to Langley, back and forth. I'm going to be a physical education teacher. This is going to be a great life. And then while I was there, I couldn't run anymore because I felt compelled by the Spirit of God, to follow him. I just noticed today, or whenever I saw my picture up, I graduated here in 1998. Go to, I, I look like Harry Potter. I've got these weird glasses, and I had hair. Uh, and you know what our class name was? Compelled. I didn't even remember that until I saw it. And I've been talking about being compelled without remembering that that was my grad name. Class name, anyways. Um, so I, I understand what it's like to feel when you're put in situations to minister that you feel ill-equipped to do. And, and, uh, once I, I surrendered and said, God, really, really do whatever you want. Um, he said, I'll take care of the rest, Joel. Yes, it's a skill that you learn. You know, preaching and teaching is a skill. There's courses like homiletics, and you hone in the skill over time and over the years. But, but, I've got to be honest here. Every time before I preach, I am so nervous. 
And I must have preached now probably thousands of sermons. Yes, I'm old. Thank you. Thank you. Gift of encouragement, fan it into flame. Oh, boy. So, uh, but you know, I learned another thing from my dad, well-seasoned leader. He said, the moment you stop getting nervous before you go up there, you probably should stop preaching. Why? Because it's right there. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not by wise and persuasive words, but rather a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on Joel and his human wisdom and the fact that he's got degrees. No, all that's good and it's preparation. But at the end of the day, may there be a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And every time Joel stands up and tries to communicate, it's the Spirit's work in this weak vessel that is unable to do whatever God's asking him to do without the help of the Spirit of God. So when you lead worship, you have skills. Man, do you have skills. But what I'm seeing is also a demonstration of the Spirit's power that's working through your life, and that is powerful. It's powerful. So I, I, I then asked myself, what does it look like? What is the demonstration of the Spirit's power? When do I know the Spirit of God is working through me? Okay, so here, here are some thoughts for you tonight. I believe that when there's a demonstration of the Spirit's power, there is a resurgence that moves you upward into spiritual maturity. The way you can test where you're being moved to, you know, it used to be said growing up many, many, many years ago, is that there was a move of the Spirit. Does anybody remember that? Maybe not. Maybe it's really old. There was a move of the Spirit. So I want to ask ourselves, uh, what does it look like to be moved by the Spirit of God? What does the, a resurgence of the demonstration of the Spirit of God look like? And I would say one of the key movements of the Spirit is to be moved literally upward to spiritual maturity. It should be um, our passion to be more like Jesus today than when I was an Omega director many years ago. If I'm in the same place as I was, not because of arrogance, not be, but because walking with Jesus, as we walk with him, we learn things about him. We, we, we begin to, to walk in step with him. There's things called the fruit of the spirit that actually begins to mature in us and actually get exemplified in the way I act and in the way I react. That's why Paul writes over and over again, even in Ephesians, for instance, chapter 4, 14, and 15, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So biblically, I can give you all kinds of references where the expectation is that the Christ follower actually matures grows up. That's why Paul even writes in other spots, you're still drinking milk, but you should be eating meat. So where there is a resurgence of the spirit of God, part of that is a movement upward in becoming more like Jesus. That's why he writes too, you can have all the gifts. You can do all this great stuff. But if you don't have love, you're a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. At the end of the day, how do you treat people? Those that are different than you. Those that speak another language. Those that have a different context and background. The Holy Spirit is committed to the process of shaping our lives in the image of Christ. So I, I got to drill a little deeper. Go to Mark chapter 11. And, and, and this passage, will I just pray with the help of the Spirit, would speak right into this point and into your heart, okay? 
Mark 11, this is important, so please go to it, okay? The word of the Lord, most important part of anything I say. Starting in verse 11, Mark 11, 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. Okay? So he's entering Jerusalem. They've just been singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. He who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king, coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And then he enters Jerusalem and he goes right into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. Okay? I want you to envision Jesus. He looked around at everything. He walked around the temple. He walked around the altar. He walked along the foyer. He saw what was going on. And because it was late, it says, it was already late, so he went out again into Bethany with the 12 for the night. But before he went to Bethany, he went to scope out the temple. He wanted to see what was going on. Important context. Remember hermeneutics. You got to understand your context. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Really important. Jesus was hungry and in search of satisfying that hunger. So what happens? Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found, now you got to underline this phrase. He found nothing but leaves. Okay? He found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. That's why we get hangry, right? He was hungry and he's mad. No food on this fig tree, no figs. Finally, he reaches Jerusalem. Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Okay. Jesus turns the temple courts upside down. Why is he so ticked off? Why is he so upset? I wonder if part of the clue in answering that question is the fig tree. Let me give you some more context. People were traveling from all regions to Jerusalem to worship God in the temple. And that means people were traveling quite a distance, many of them and most of them by foot. Only the wealthy would have had a donkey to sit on or, 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 or some sort of ride there. But most people would have been walking miles upon miles just to get to Jerusalem to worship God in the temple. And so the religious leaders of the day who were in charge of the temple courts, they thought of some great ideas. They thought of convenience. And so I don't know how it all worked out, but somebody must have had an idea. You know what? These poor folks are coming from a long distance. They're going to be tired and weary. And of course, when they come to the house of God, there's the whole sacrificial system. So for them to actually bring a live animal that they will go into the house of God to sacrifice is kind of inconvenient. They're already traveling a long way. How do they keep a pigeon, you know, holding a pigeon in their hand? All that route to the temple. You know what we're going to do? We're going to make it real easy. We're going to sell the sacrifices in the temple courts. Makes sense, right? We're going to travel. They just have to walk in. Boom. Buy your sacrifice. Go in. Boom. Sacrifice it. Bang. Done. But they thought to themselves, and maybe it was the, the treasurer who had that idea. I thought, you know what, though? But they're going to come with different currency because they're coming from different parts of the region. And so... They're going to need to exchange their money. So, hey, here's an idea. Here's an idea. We're going to be really convenient. We're going to actually have money changers in the temple. So before they go buy their sacrifice, they're going to bring their currency. We're going to exchange their money. And Oh, by the way, we're going to put some extra surcharges on that. We're going to make money off of them. They're going to get this exchange. They're going to 
get the money that they need. Then they're going to go across the other temple court, across, and they're going to buy the sacrifice. And by the way, we'll slap on another surcharge because of convenience, right? Well, man, they're going to be expensive birds in here. And so they're, they're going to buy that, and then they're going to worship God. Good idea. No. Not a good idea. Why was Jesus so upset? Because the people reduced faith in God to a commercial transaction. A business deal. Rather than a personally transformed life in Christ. Jesus was offended by the idea that a relationship with God was merely an exchange. It was simply a religious transaction. I do this for you, God. I expect this from you in light of that. And God says, it doesn't work like that. I want all of you. I don't make deals with you. I wonder if here's the connection to the fig tree. Listen up. He sees the fig tree in a distance, the scriptures say, and he's hungry. This fig tree, at this time of the calendar, it was in full leaf, the text said. It had full foliage of leaf, which meant that when a fig tree had full foliage of leaves, it meant that most probably there was figs there. But it was the type, the time and the season where it was kind of standing up because it shouldn't have been full of foliage at that time of year. It was still early. It was not time for figs. Yet this one fig tree, for whatever reason, was full of leaves. And so Jesus, being hungry, sees this tree full of leaves. And it, it, it meant that there was much promise in that fig tree. There was much potential that there was figs there because it was full of leaves. And so Jesus, being hungry, goes up to the fig tree, opens up the leaves, no figs. What is the symbol to this in light of what he did when he finally got to the temple? The fact of the matter is the religious leaders, the people of the day, played the religious part. They were full of leaves, but no sustenance. They looked the religious part. It seemed as though they were doing all the right things. They were in the house of God. They, 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 they were prepared. They had ideas. They were doing stuff. But their hearts were not transformed. They were like a fig tree with all kinds of leaves, but no figs. That's called religion. I go to college. I'm studying the Bible. I go to class. I go to chapel. And it seems like I'm playing all the right tone. Uh, what do you call it? Notes. It looks the part. It's full of, leave, uh, uh, full of foliage, full of, full of leaves. But if Jesus is hungry and he comes to your tree, is he going to find figs there? Is your heart fully surrendered to the Lord? Is there figs? Is there fruitfulness in your life, in the way you act and react? Is there the fruit of the Spirit? Notice it's singular, fruit, not fruits. We must not treat the fruit of the Spirit like the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit, we don't have them all. We have maybe one or two as Christ followers, but, but we don't have them all. The fruit of the Spirit is one fruit. I can't say I've got love, but joy, whew, I don't have joy. That's not my forte. No, it doesn't work that way. You either have the fruit or you don't. Now, some of the fruit is maybe underdeveloped and is growing in us, but there's got to be fruit there. The tree offered promise without fulfillment. I wonder if it was in fulfillment of Micah 7, 1 and 2, when years earlier than this instant, Micah wrote and said, I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat. 
None of the early figs that I crave, the Lord says. The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. Jesus is looking to be satisfied. He's hungry. And he stops by my tree. And he might say, Joel, I'm glad you're preaching these sermons. Good for you. I'm glad you do what you do. But how you treated that waitress matters. How you reacted to your son matters. Who you're like when nobody is looking matters. The religious leaders played the part, but Jesus said, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. I believe a demonstration of the Spirit of God in our lives is this sense of maturity in becoming more and more like Jesus. In my actions and in my reactions. When my roommate is driving me nuts, when I'm working with a team on Omega and I'm lacking patience, when I'm tired and weary, Those are the moments where our character is revealed. Billy Sunday put it this way, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. You getting the point there? There's a missionary who once uh, was pumped and said, God, I, you know, you're going to use me. You're going to use me to change the world, man. I know it, God. I know it. I know it. And so I, he went off, and he was going to go change the world. And off he went and had great dreams and plans, came back defeated, realizing he didn't change the world. And so he said to God, God, I, I, I thought I was going to change the world, but it didn't work. But you know what, God? I'm not quitting. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out there, and I'm going to change my nation. My country, never mind the world, my country. I'm going to change my nation. I'm going to turn it upside down. And off he went, only to come back defeated again. He didn't change his nation. But this guy was not going to quit. thought to himself, nope, fine. I didn't change the world. I didn't change my nation. I'm going to change my city. Oh, man, my city. And off he went to change his city, only to realize he couldn't change his city. So he came back to the Lord and says, I'm not quitting, Lord. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to change my family. Oh, man, you're going to watch. I'm going to change my family. Off he went. Came back defeated. Couldn't change his family. Utterly discouraged, the Lord spoke to him and said, hey, I want to change you first. And then maybe as you encounter the work of my spirit and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit himself, then perhaps I will use you to change your family, your city, your nation, who knows, maybe even the world. It starts right here, the renovation of the heart. If you want to see a resurgence of the work of the Spirit, it starts with your own heart. And my prayer for each of you is that when Jesus is looking to be satisfied because he's hungry. And he stops under your tree. He will not only find lots of foliage of leaves, but he's going to find figs. Secondly, I believe a resurgence of the spirit is going to move you inward to build the church. He's going to move you upward in becoming more like Christ, and he's going to push you inward to the body of Christ, to build the church. A resurgence of the Spirit is a movement towards inwardly building the church by deploying the gifts and talents that the Lord has given to you. The gifts of the Spirit are given by God's grace. You haven't earned them. They're beyond just abilities. They're supernatural, and they're given. Each member of the body of Christ has at least one spiritual gift. The purpose of that spiritual gift is to build and to edify the church. 
The gifts of the Spirit are not given to build our own kingdoms. I've seen this way too often, where people literally build their own little kingdom around their one gift. Gifts are meant to be used in unison with other gifts. That's when the church becomes prevailing. When we don't isolate ourselves. Now I get it. The church has made some huge mistakes along the way. And sometimes we just want to deconstruct the thing. And sometimes it's easier to be critical of it than to be part of it. And I say that out of personal experience. Unfortunately, I know what's behind the curtain many times in our churches. And I wish I didn't have to see them. But I got to tell you something. The more I do what I do, the more I love the church. The more I believe that the hope of the world is right here. The body of Christ. Members of the body with their gifts are meant to work in partnership with other parts of the body and the gifts that the Lord has granted to them. We are not meant to deploy our gifts in isolation. The church of Corinth struggled with this whole thing of gifts. They struggled with two things, superiority and inferiority. Okay, what does superiority mean? It sounds a little bit like this. My gift is more important than other gifts. You know, what really the church needs is what I got. That is what the church needs, is the gift that God has given to me. Forget the other stuff. That's really not important. That's called superiority. And Paul writes to them and says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. We must uh, be aware and guard our hearts from superiority. The other thing they struggled with was inferiority. My gift isn't important, so I might as well just be a spectator. He says to them, now if the foot should say, now listen carefully to Paul's words. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. So some of you in this room have relegated yourself to the sidelines because you have made yourself believe that what God has given to you is really not that important. I, I, I don't sing like these angels just sang tonight. I, I don't play instruments. I, I'm, whatever it is, and we compare ourselves. I'm not as sharp as that person in that area. And so in that moment, we make ourselves at times believe that I don't have a part to play. So I'm just going to sit back and just watch everybody else do their thing. Paul says that if you do that, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. What is he saying? He's saying if you choose to relegate yourself because of inferiority to the sidelines of the work of God, it doesn't mean you're not part of the body. You are part of the body, only that part of the body isn't functioning because you've chosen to sit on the sidelines which means the body isn't functioning as strong and healthy and powerful as it can. So Omega teams, you're going to go on this trip. You are on that team for a reason. Every one of you is critical to the power and ministry that comes out of that team. My Omega career started because a former founding uh, Omega director said, hey, Joel, I know you haven't taken Omega, but I just, hey, I need some help. Do you want to come overseas with us? I said, sure. What do you want me to do? I'm not an intern. I'm not of this. I'm not of that. I don't do that. I don't do this. He said, and these were his words. He says, we just need somebody to do a bunch of grunt work, like carry bags, load vans, unload them, carry instruments. And I'm like, okay. 
And in fact, that's what I did for an entire month. I just carried bags. And I did it at the best of my ability. We made it on trains, buses, planes, because I made sure those bags got on there. Isn't God hilarious? It's, I would have never imagined that one day I'd be leading Omega. Whatever part you have to play, doesn't matter what part it is. It's part of the body of Christ. And if you choose to have an inferiority complex because of what you do or do not have, it does not make you not part of the body anymore. It just means that part of the body, body isn't working And so we're not all functioning at the strength that God would want. Get in the game. Give what you do have. Maybe you're sitting here, I don't even know what my gifts are. Just start doing stuff and God will show you. Honestly, start doing something. Tell my kids that all the time. Just see a need, just fill it. You don't need to have the gift of Filling a need to do it. Let us be people who build up the church, not people who tear it down. And if we want to be people of the spirit, we're going to be moved inward to build the church. Doesn't mean we don't need to have some honest conversations and have some correction and sometimes rebuke in the body of Christ. No, that's part of it. But don't tear the thing down. There are uh, been moments in my ministry where there have been people that I've been called to pastor and lead that, oof, so hard. And, uh, you know, in my weak moments, I'd imagine having photos of them poster size maybe, uh, and put it on the wall, and then have some darts. <laughs> and I would always envision myself just like going nuts with those darts, like just like, like not just like, no, like, and over and over and over again until the picture is totally disfigured. See, I'm angry, right? I've got bitterness and anger in my heart. I know. I'm I'm working on it. But, you know, I've realized that um, behind their beautiful faces, if I removed that picture of them, my hunch is I would see Jesus behind their faces. Uh, because it was Jesus, wasn't it, who said the things you do to these, what you do unto these, you do unto me. And for whatever reason, we forget that when we just rip apart the body of Christ, that we're actually, what did I just say? The body of whom? Christ. We, we, we detach ourselves, and because of our anger, we, we lose sight of the fact that that's, that is an image bearer of Jesus. That this, this thing is more than just an institution. It is the, the body of Christ. That is a daughter or son of the king. If you're a parent, you know what it's like. You know, you, you, can, you, can, you, can, you can cut me off. You can, you know, you can talk to me. Talk to, just don't mess with my kids. Right? Because those are my kids. May we understand that as resurgence of the Spirit is not just this movement upward and becoming more like Christ, but it's also this movement inward in saying, God, I'm part of this body. I'm not just some isolated stone. I'm not just a, an isolated hand or an isolated foot. I'm actually part of something 
bigger than myself. And so, God, help me find my place in that body so that together we can be the vibrant light of Jesus in a world that's so dark and hurting. And instead of fighting against each other, we're, we're actually for each other and working on protecting each other. And when somebody else fails, instead of exposing it, we protect and guard and instead of gossip and slander. Oh, wouldn't that be amazing? I pray for that kind of environment at Summit, that we're cheering each other on, that when somebody falls, or that we're not exposing it, but we're protecting. Love covers over a multitude of sins, I believe it says. So if, if you want to know what a demonstration of the Spirit's power looks like, not only are you going to trust the Spirit to make you more like Jesus, but you're going to be part of something bigger than yourself, and you're going to do whatever you can to be a healthy part of the body. And thirdly, I believe a resurgence of the Spirit is going to move you outward to a lost world. We're going to be moved upward and becoming more like Jesus. We're going to be moved inward and building the church, but we're also going to be moved outward to a lost and hurting world. Isn't that what Pentecost is all about? Um, I will clothe you with power, Acts 1.8, so that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The reason why I'm going to give you the Spirit of God, the power of God, is so that you could be my witnesses in Jerusalem, at home, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Throughout the book of Acts, people are being moved by the Spirit and are involved in acts and actions. That's why we call it acts. The actions of the Spirit the acts of the apostles, the actions that came out of these people who were empowered by the Spirit. And it's a record of all those actions of the apostles because they had been clothed with power. And so we have some biblical example. We have Peter moved to preach the gospel to the lost people in Acts chapter 2. This is the guy who denied knowing Jesus. Something happened in that upper room that just, boom, revolutionized his life to the point where he was able to boldly now preach and thousands come to Christ. He couldn't help himself because he encountered the power of the Spirit over your life, over his life. And so it compelled him to preach. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are moved by the Spirit to show the power of love to Christ. Uh, of Christ to a lame man in Acts chapter 3. And there, there's this man who's begging for money. And, 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 and in verse 6 of chapter 3, silver or gold I do not have, Peter said, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. That's a demonstration of the Spirit's power. He walked in that. Philip was moved by the Spirit to come alongside a spiritual seeker an Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. This is amazing. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. I love this. The Spirit of God is moving Philip, actually moving him to a specific road. Philip, I want you to go down Claiborne Road. And turn left over there and go right over there. And he gets there. And there's an Ethiopian eunuch reading the prophet Isaiah. And Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. When was the last time you were moved by the Spirit to a specific location because God had a divine appointment waiting for you? 
a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Ananias, in chapter 9 of Acts, is moved by the Spirit to join in the conversion process of Saul, who then became Paul. Here it is again, verse what, what, verse 10. The Lord comes to Ananias and says, in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Are you hearing this? Clear instruction. Go to Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Now, at that point, Saul was a terrorist. And so God's saying to Ananias, go to the terrorist house on Straight Street. Ananias is going, what? But he goes. And in verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, and placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Many times we talk about Paul, but there was an Ananias behind Paul, who was then Saul, who obeyed the work of the Spirit and actually went to Straight Street as was asked. When was the last time you heard the voice of the Spirit of God give you specific instruction. When was the last time you heard it and obeyed and took a step forward and a risk? See, Pentecost is all about harvest. It's rooted in the Old Testament. It was a feast that they would celebrate the harvest. And so Pentecost is a celebration of harvest to point to the power of the Holy Spirit that many times is evidenced with speaking in tongues is not so that we can have a shake and bake together. I have no idea why I just said that. I've never said that in my life. Shake and bake. Wow. Um, I just moved out of the anointing there for a moment. <laughs> yeah, I was moved. I moved somewhere else. Uh, but it's so much more than an experience. It's actually an equipping, an empowerment to go to those who are far from Christ so that there would be a harvest. That's the whole point. So when you hear you're in Pentecostal distinctives, I used to teach that. I don't know. If Jace, do you still? No? Okay. Uh, Holy Spirit class, anybody? Is there a class? Pneumatology? Okay. Uh, so, you, you know, you, you'll learn all the technical stuff, really important. But at the end of the day, the point to it is so that you could be empowered and be compelled to a world that's lost and hurting. That's the point. It's to see a harvest. Okay, I, I'm going to finish with this because we're going to seek God together for a demonstration of the Spirit's power tonight. So um, it was at the end of a long Omega trip many years ago. And we had gone to China, Macau, and Hong Kong. We were a team of about 52 people. It was like, it was a beast of a team. And we were, in all, we were rotating in all the nations. We mountain biked in rural mainland China where uh, people there had never heard of the name of Jesus once. We would go into the villages and we would then um, split up as to not bring attention to ourselves because it was a little volatile in some of those areas. And we would go into their homes because the people were so beautiful and hospitable. They would invite us in tea and we would we would connect in their homes and we would hear their stories and then we would share the gospel and we would lead them to Jesus and and then follow-up teams would come and we would actually record where they lived and who they were and we would then 
plant churches with those new believers. So it was an amazing trip. Um, it was a it was it was a it was a thirty day trip, and it was grueling. And so we we would mountain bike some days 50, 60 kilometers a day. And then at the end of the day, we would stay at $2 hotels. So at the end of a long trip of 30 days, uh, we had uh, saved uh, a, a one or two days at the end of the trip for R&R, rest and relaxation. You still do that, Jason? Okay, good. And, and we were going to stay, we're staying in Hong Kong, a beautiful city, one of my favorite cities of the world. We're just going to relax, tour, enjoy ourselves, and so on. And so I actually broke off because I needed a little bit of, I've been with everybody for 30 days, right? And I was like, I just, I'm just going to go for a stroll. Uh, you're not supposed to do that, by the way, students. Never go alone, okay? Never be alone. But I was a director, so I went alone. So I went to the waterfront in Hong Kong, and beautiful, you know, overlooking the water, and it was just an amazing sight. And I was just completely wiped. I actually counted, I think in that 30-day span, I preached 60 times. I was absolutely, like, leading up to the trip, of course, there's, you know, tons of work, and then 30 days, 60 sermons, I was, like, finished. And so I was like, oh, God, I just want to rest today, and I just want to just enjoy the sights. And I was standing there looking, and, and the Spirit of God spoke to me, not in an audible voice. not It was just a, a, a nudging. And there was a young man sitting on the steps about 100 yards from me overlooking the waterfront. And I felt him tell me, you need to go share Jesus with him. I didn't say awesome. What I said was, leave me alone. <laughs> Honestly. I was like, can I just have one day off? I, I just, I just, I, I just want to just relax. I, 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 I'm tired. I, honestly, I'm just being transparent with you. And I wrestled with this, and I, and I started thinking, yeah, he probably doesn't even, I don't have my interpreter with me. He doesn't understand English. What's the point? He's going to be like, who are you? Like, wh why are you bothering me? You know, you come up with all of these excuses, right? This, this wrestling wasn't ending. It wasn't stopping. So I'm like, almost like the reluctant prophet. And so I uh, start making my way to this young man. And about five feet away from him, I chicken out. And I just sit. And I'm like, what do I even say? What am I, how do I even start this? Really don't want to do this. Really don't want to do this. And I look out on the waterfront, and I see this, uh, this cross on the other side. And uh, it was a, a church with a big cross. And, and, and I felt the Lord tell me, start talking about that. So I got up, and I kind of startled him, because partly I was upset I had to do this, right? So kind of abruptly kind of sat beside him. And he's like, and, and as I sat beside him, I, re, I didn't know it, but I, real, I soon realized he was reading something. And he quickly shut it and put it in his pocket. I didn't see what it was, but I knew he was reading something. And he quickly closed it and put it in his pocket. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And then I started a conversation. And, and what do you know? He spoke excellent English. So a little small talk. And then I said to him, what, what, what is that there, that building? And he's like, it's a church, bro. Look at it. <laughs> I'm like, huh, okay. Um, do you go to church? He's like, no, I don't go to church. I'm an atheist. I don't even believe there's a God. I'm like, great. So I, you know, he says, what, what are you doing here? Like, where are you from? And we were talking, and then I told him, I'm here with a team. We came and, and uh, did some humanitarian work. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, but, you know, he kept prodding, and then I shared my faith with him. I shared Jesus with him. And as it, you know, it, it, it was getting really meaningful, 
um, he just started getting teary-eyed. And I'm like, you know, from a cultural standpoint, very rarely will you find that culture to show emotions, especially a man, a young man like that. So I'm like, oh boy. Um, so he's, you know, and, and, and uh, it, it just, he's getting more and more emotional as I'm sharing. And he says, you don't understand what's happening. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? And then he goes in his pocket and he pulls out this track. And he says, you know, I, a friend of mine recently gave me this. And it <laughs> was the message of Jesus, the gospel. He was reading what Jesus had done on the cross. And he said, I was reading this thing, and I had literally just said, I don't even believe there's a God. God, if you're really out there, you're going to have to really reveal yourself to me. And he said, and then you showed up. His name was Alex. And uh, hi, Alex. <laughs> It's good to see you again. <laughs> it's been a few years, hasn't it? We even had donuts this afternoon together. That's so nice. Um, I led Alex to Jesus on the steps of Hong Kong at Waterfront that day and got the youth pastor and connected them found out later he integrated into the life of the church. I, I, it wasn't me, right? I remember I was like the stubborn, tired, kind of grumpy Omega director. Uh, but uh, I'm so glad that I listened and was moved by the Spirit that day. Because at just the right time, it was time for Alex to come to Jesus. That is what a demonstration of the Spirit's power looks like. Where you're moved outward to a lost world. Um, I wish I could take you all to my house in Milton. I've got Christine and Nick on my left. I've got Mustafa and his family who are from Iraq to my right. I've got Rawl and Shika, who are Sikhs, in, my, in the front. I've got uh, business owners of a large organization across to the left. I've got Brian two houses down. Brian, and I got to tell you, some, some days after work, I just, you know, you just want to drive your car into the garage, shut the door, because all the neighbors are out. I'm tired. I don't really feel like having a conversation with my neighbors. But I've learned to say yes to the moving of the Spirit. I'm learning. I haven't learned it fully because I miss many. And uh, the other day, you know, uh, my, my, uh, my friend Brian, my neighbor Brian was outside, and I just felt like you, you don't go in the garage. So I got out of my car, and of course, Brian sees me. He's like, hey! And I'm like, I knew it. I knew he wanted to talk to me. And so we chat and uh, start talking about Jesus because <laughs> he asks me, what do I do? It's like, it's always the great question, right? And so uh, we started talking and uh, he's like, this is crazy because I've been on a spiritual journey, he says to me. He said these words, I've been on a spiritual journey. And I, I go to a Catholic church, but I feel like I'm missing something. But I don't know what it is. And then he goes on, and so we're talking, and I'm answering some of his questions, and he's like, the Lord has brought you here. I want to meet with you regularly for Bible studies. So the other day, we went to Starbucks, and I had my Bible, and he's asking me questions, and He's like, holy smokes. I never knew that. And so I said, it's right here. It's not me. It's right here. And he's like, I, I, 
He takes out his phone. Give me a, take a picture of that. I want to show my wife that. I said, we, we can get you your own Bible. Uh, Rawl is Sikh, and so at times, um, you know, he, he travels a lot for work, and so he'll say, Joel, you know, uh, you know, here, w- please take a, you know, watch our house, get our mail, do this, do that. Uh, he's got secure cameras all over. I mean, this guy's like, hi. It's like, dude, you're well protected. Don't worry. Uh, and, uh, and yet, you know, he'll be overseas and he'll just text me and say, hey, how are you doing? Um, kind of struggling here at work. I know you have connections with the guy up there. That's how he says it. He's like, hey, Rob, he won't say, please pray. He'll just say, I, I just know you have connections. So I say, hey, Rob, I'll be praying for you. <laughs> when it's his daughter's birthday, Sylvia walks over with a gift. He said, you know, we, we wanted to move for so many years, but we just like to be your neighbor. We're not going to move. Again, I'm not saying it because look at us. What I'm saying is... There should be something about us that um, seasons. Remember, you're salt, right? It, it adds season to the world. It, it, you are the light of the world. And so it radiates. And so there should be something that attracts others. That is what a demonstration of the Spirit's power looks like. It's a weak vessel trembling with fear, not knowing at times what to say or even wanting to say anything. But God in his beautiful sovereignty and power kind of comes in and uses this willing, broken vessel and demonstrates the Spirit's power through you. You don't have to have a degree to do it. Although I'm glad you're getting a degree. I've done it. I've even got a master's degree. All that's all important. But at the end of the day, what the world needs is not eloquent speaking and charisma and charismatic personalities. What they need to see is a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Oh, and that's what I pray for you. Can I have the worship team come on up? Can you stand with us? Oh, this is is good, isn't it? Isn't the word of the Lord good? Okay, who wants a demonstration of the Spirit's power in their lives? You're going to move three directions, right? Where's the first direction? In becoming? Spiritually mature. And then you're going to also be moved to do what? And you're going to be moved where? So I want us to turn this place into a place where the Spirit of God, you sang it. Okay, I didn't tell you to sing it. I watched all of you. You were singing, like you, you were like really giving it. Whatever you want from me. <laughs> you, you sang it. I, I watched you and I heard you. Okay, all right. So, be open to the spirit right now, right here. I had a student, they were like, I I don't believe in that whole baptism of the Spirit stuff, man. I said, that's cool. He's like, I'm not going to go to no altar. You know, I I don't feel comfortable. I don't want anybody sweating over me and yelling at me and giving me little riddles to say so that I get back. You know, say my last name a few times if you want, you know. Yeah, you're signing. Yeah, you're getting it. Say my name, Speedy Diliazzi, and you'll be fine. No, it, seek the person of the Spirit. Seek the person of the Spirit. And so that same student, you know, I remember one day, I'm like, don't go to altars. Go, go somewhere else. Go by yourself somewhere. And, and say to the Spirit of God, whatever you have for me. And I remember one class, 8 a.m., you know, our students would come in, they got blankets on, half asleep with their pillows, right? 
And this guy, he was always notorious to be late. And it wasn't Gavin. It was, I won't even say his name. And he beat me to class that morning. I'm like, what the? There's a revival going on. What are you doing here? And he says to me, you won't believe what happened last night. I, I took you up on the idea. And I, and I went, and, and at that time there was a classroom. It looked a whole lot different, okay? It was bad. Now it's good. Before bad, now good. And he found a spot, and he's like, I started to pray all by myself in the academic building. It was later on at night, and the Spirit of God came upon me, and I started to speak a language I had never spoken before. And he's like, Joel, it's amazing. This intimacy I have with God, it's just, I would have never imagined it by himself, in the evening, no band, no pastor praying, just him and God. But maybe tonight, he wants to do a fresh thing in you right here, right now. Whatever you want, God. And so find a spot. Come on up. I'm so good with time. Come on, it's 840. Find a spot and begin to seek God and say, God, I want there to be a demonstration of the Spirit's power in my life. I don't just want to be a fig tree with leaves. I want there to be fruit there. Can you guys lead us? Come, find a spot and seek God. I'll join you. Bless you.